Father God, thank you for tonight. Lord, we just thank you for um, this time and this space that we have in our weeks. Lord, just to come together and be in fellowship with one another, to play fun games, um, to connect with each other. Lord, thank you for that, that you have designed for us to live in community, um, that we can come here and be encouraged by one another, but more importantly, Lord, that we can come here and be encouraged from your word, um, that we can come to know you better uh, from hearing from your word and just processing it and discussing it with each other. Uh, so, Lord, I just pray that you would speak through me uh, the word that you have for us tonight. Um, Lord, just give us ears to hear, soften our hearts, that we would receive uh, the message that you have for us tonight, Lord, that we would walk out of here uh, just transformed uh, by your truth uh, and by the encouragement that we just share with one another. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we have been in our series, The Kingdom of Heaven is Like. Um, so for a few weeks now, we've been looking at these parables that Jesus used, these stories that Jesus would use to reveal spiritual truths about his kingdom. And so how we've defined the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, all these different ways that we can find it uh, labeled in our New Testament um, the kingdom is this redemptive rule and reign of God through Christ. And so it's Christ who's using these parables to teach about these spiritual realities, these spiritual truths. He's using a story to reveal a spiritual truth. And as Alan was teaching about the parable of the sower, if you were here on Sunday, you got to hear it again, which is always good for our minds like John uh, said last week that it's always good for us to hear it again because we need to, we need that repetition. But I liked how Alan was saying when he was teaching on Sunday, he explained that these parables, they reveal areas in our heart that need to be redeemed by repenting and submitting to the rule and reign of Christ as king. And so, so far we have looked at the parable of the sower that showed us the four different responses uh, to the message of the kingdom being preached. And so last week, John took us through the parable of the weeds or the tares, some of your translations might say, uh, and it talks about that there is this coming judgment day, that there is judgment to come, and that the parable, it revealed a couple things to us. The evil in God's kingdom will coexist till the end of time, till the return of Christ. And then another thing is that at the end, he will judge and bring justice to everyone. Every deed will be accounted for. To those who are in Christ, they will be covered in the blood of Christ. They will be covered in his righteousness. And those who are not, there will be eternal separation from the Father. And there was this interesting line in the parable that uh, the master, he responds with when one of his servants asked if they should go and gather the weeds from among the wheat. And the master says no, not to do that in order not to pull up weeds um, as well as the wheat. Uh, and so John pointed out that the servants right there, their questioning uh, is right in line with what a lot of us can question um, today. If God is good and if his kingdom is here, if the Messiah has come, then why is there so much evil in the world still? And so what we've been looking at, and even what we sang in our song, right before the last song that we did, is that there are these two points to the kingdom. 
There's this inauguration, there's this bringing of the initial kingdom that Jesus does when he begins his ministry on earth. And then there's this part of judgment like we talked about last week where the fullness of the kingdom will come, where there will be judgment for every wrong and evil thing done, but then there will be no more evil in the world. Every tear will be wiped away. We'll look at that fuller when we get to the end of our series. But we have these two points, and it brings us to tonight, um, this point of the, the coming of the kingdom and the fullness of the kingdom Tonight we look at a parable that kind of colors in what's going on in between, this time that we find ourselves in. So with that, we are going to jump into Matthew 13. We are in verse 31. So it says, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed. The man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. So Jesus uses this visual image of a tiny seed that results in a massive tree. So I have a slide up there just for us to visualize. This is a mustard seed. It is like a peppercorn. I had peppercorns in my office and I couldn't find them. Don't ask why I had peppercorns in my office. But it's about the same size. I was going to bring one up, but I couldn't find them. So I just thought this will do. You can see in relation to your finger how small a mustard seed is. So he's using this imagery and he even gives the language, this contrasting language here. The smallest of seeds. And then we get a button there showing that there's a contrast that it then is going to produce the largest of all the garden plants into this massive tree. So the next uh, image shows us this is a mustard seed tree. And I think we know that. Like, I mean, from a very early age, we're in school, and we do things where we plant seeds, and we watch them grow, and we can look at trees, and we know, like, oh, those come from seeds. But if we just think about that, like the smallest of seeds and then what comes of it is this massive tree, I just want us to sink in on that for a second. This visual image that Jesus is giving us that he wants us to meditate on about the smallest of seeds to this grand massive tree. And he's using this to describe something about the kingdom. So Jesus is using this image to explain the inauguration of his kingdom, the fullness of his kingdom, and the time that we find ourselves in between. So when Jesus came on the scene, he began his ministry, and it was seemingly rather insignificant. He's born to a very regular family with no status, and there's things in the text when we actually read about Jesus' birth and what his parents did as they were following the law that tell us they were actually a family that was probably pretty poor, just not a very significant status family, very normal, very regular life as a Jew. And then he starts his ministry and he chooses these 12 unlikely dudes. Like if people are thinking about the Messiah and the people that he's going to be having around him, the disciples that he's going to have, who he's going to be their teacher, it's probably not these 12 who he chooses. And then on top of that, the way that Jesus is relating with other people and going outside of cultural norms and who he decides to associate with, it's this very seemingly insignificant start 
to what they thought the Messiah was going to be doing. And all of this to say is that he is not who most of Israel was expecting as their Messiah. But like a small mustard seed, the growth of his kingdom would take off into unimaginable expansion through seemingly impossible circumstances. And that's what we get for the rest of our New Testament. And this is shocking to the disciples, and it's, it's shocking to us even as we think about ourselves here and now in 2022 being people who have heard about the kingdom. But as we consider the character of God and how he worked in the Old Testament, it's the same God. And this is what God does, and he's consistent in his character. If you think back in the Old Testament, when the nation of Israel started, we're talking about just one man, Abraham. He calls this one man Abraham, and he says, makes this promise to him that I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make your descendants as many as the stars in the sky and sands on the ground. I'm going to make a grand and massive nation out of this one person, and you are going to be a blessing to all the other nations. And he's promising it to this one person, this seemingly insignificant, I'm going to take this one person, and I'm going to do something grand with you and with your obedience. And so that's what he does, and he does. He makes this great nation. I don't know about you guys, but if you were following along in Bible in a year through the Old Testament, um, it's like I know that promise to Abraham, but as you pay attention to the details, there was times where I found myself where I was like, I had no idea just how large Israel was. Like, there were times where you're just like, oh, wow, this is a grand and mighty nation. There are millions of people in this nation that the Lord did it. He, from this one man, Abraham, made a grand and mighty nation. And so that's what we're seeing is we're seeing this expansive growth that the Lord, that Jesus in this parable is comparing the kingdom growing from a seemingly small and insignificant star, but that it is going to have a very large, extravagant uh, outcome. And then there's this last phase. So we can kind of understand the, the comparison happening here of like, okay, the smallest seed, and then it turns into the largest thing. We see kind of what he's doing here. But then there's this phrase at the end of 32, and it says, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. We get this so that. Those are things we want to pay attention to. When we're reading our Bible and we see so that, we see that there's this purpose given here. What I'm going to do is this, and it's for this purpose. So that, and it's something about birds coming in and making nests in this tree. Obviously, they couldn't make nests in the mustard seed. It needed to be this tree. And you're like, okay, where are you going with this? This is an interesting purpose statement that's tacked onto the end of the parable. But Jesus is actually referencing... Uh, a passage that we see in Ezekiel 17. And so when we look back to Ezekiel, God has used Ezekiel to pronounce judgment on Israel. And this is while they are in exile. And they are wrongly relying on other nations like Egypt for security rather than relying on Yahweh God. And so they look to these nations that seem so powerful, and they look to them for help rather than their creator, God. And after he pronounces judgment on them, as he often does in the, in the Old Testament, after he pronounces judgment, it is often for him then to bring the hope. He doesn't just leave them there in the judgment. He gives them the hope of what is to come, a glimpse of this future and so he's giving them this hope of this kingdom that he will establish and the messianic king that he will 
put on the throne. And so if you just want to go, I want to read this end part to you in Ezekiel. Again, this is from 17. It says, Thus says the Lord God, I myself will take a sprig from the lofty top of the cedar and will set it out. I will break off from the topmost of it, of its young twigs, a tender one, and I myself will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain height of Israel will I plant it, that it will bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar, and under it will dwell every kind of bird. In the shade of its branches, birds of every sort will nest. And all the trees of the field shall know that I am the Lord. I bring the low, I bring low the high tree and make high the low tree. Dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it. So this is this hope that, uh, that God has given and spoken through Ezekiel to the people while they are in exile, that there is this coming, that they are not going to be left in exile, but that the Lord is actually moving and is going to bring about from this remnant. He's going to bring about a kingdom. It's going to be a mightier kingdom than any of the kingdoms they are relying on and seeking out this false sense of security. And so Jesus, when he's telling this parable, and he talks about this tree, and he talks about the kingdom being like this small seed and it expands into this large, massive tree, He's referring back that this is the kingdom that they have been hoping for. And it is expanding, and in its expansion, it will not just be populated by the nation of Israel, but all nations will come into it, and it will be the most powerful kingdom ever to be seen. There will be no kingdom that we will see in our lives or as we look back in history that could ever compare to this massive, mighty, all-powerful kingdom that is coming because God himself is the king of this nation. And Jesus is referring back to that saying, it is a process, but it is coming. And so we see that you know, what the Lord is saying here is that all of these nations are actually going to be included. It's not just going to be Israel that is doing that. And so when Jesus is talking about his kingdom going out, we see that after Jesus has gone to the cross and after the resurrection, right before he ascends into heaven, he leaves his disciples with, uh, with a promise to them. He tells them, uh, if you want to go to the next slide, in Acts, right before the ascension, if you want to go to the next uh, slide, we'll look at Acts 1. The last, one of the last things Jesus says, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. He's telling his disciples that he is going away that he is sending his spirit, and it is by them that they are going to be witnesses to everything that they learned under his teaching and under his ministry. They are going to be the ones empowered by the Holy Spirit going out and giving the message of the kingdom, the message that they have received, the message of the gospel, the message of salvation from sin, the hope that they have. They are going to be the ones empowered by the Holy Spirit, not anything of themselves. They are going to be the ones who go out. And he says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so that's great. And Jesus ascends and the Spirit does come. And they start spreading the gospel. They're telling people. They're preaching all over the place. But they're facing a lot of opposition. 
They're facing a lot of persecution. And so we see, okay, they're supposed to be going out. They're facing all this opposition. They're facing this persecution. But we see that God's plans for his kingdom going out, they cannot be thwarted by any evil that is in this world. When we get to Acts 8.1, Stephen has just been stoned. He was preaching, and they bring him in, and they decide to stone him. And when we get to Acts 8.1, it says, and Saul, who approved, and Saul approved of his execution. And there arose that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And so we come to Acts 8-1, where because the Jews were persecuting these followers of Jesus, they were scattered or they're dispersed to Judea and to Samaria. But they're fulfilling, actually, what the Jews think they're shutting down. The Lord is actually using this evil, and like John was telling us last week, he is sovereign over all things, that this evil act of them persecuting the church, it could not stop his kingdom message from spreading and expanding, but it was actually used to fulfill what he said back in Acts 1.8, that they are going to Judea and to Samaria, and that they keep scattering out, eventually taking it to the ends of the earth. And we know that that is true because you and I are sitting here in Mesa, Arizona in 2022, and we've heard this message. That even amongst persecution, even amongst all the evil in this world, the, the plans of the Lord and his kingdom, when he says, my kingdom will come and it will be advanced and nothing can stop it, he means what he says. There is no evil thing in this world that can stop or thwart the plans of God. And that is an amazing God to be following. That is an amazing movement to be a part of these seemingly impossible circumstances. Um, it reminds me, too, when I think about this and think about even our world today, there was an article I read right when, um, when the war in Ukraine started, and uh, a whole bunch of people obviously are leaving Ukraine um, and going to all the surrounding countries, and Poland is one of the countries that was taking in a lot of Ukrainian refugees. And Poland is a country where there is 0.2% evangelical Christians, 0.2%. That's not 2%, 0.2%. Very, very small population of Christians, evangelical Christians there. And as these Ukrainian refugees are coming, there's a lot of these Christian Ukrainians coming in. And so this woman was talking about her experience of um, being a Christian in Poland, just there not being a lot of other Christians around there, just that that's very difficult, that they can, uh, you know, they could have a church of about 20, and then you'd have to drive about 50 to 60 miles before you got to another church of, you know, 20 or so Christians. And she was just talking about her experience of that's very hard to be in a country where there's just not a lot of Christianity around. And as they were receiving these Ukrainian refugees, um, she was explaining, like, man, this has been really a, a wonderful encouragement, all of these Ukrainian Christians coming over and coming into their churches. And she's like, it's, it's so different and so encouraging just to be around so many Christians. And the Ukrainian woman, she was understanding of God's word, and she knows that the Lord takes evil things and he uses it for our good and for his glory. And she said, maybe we were... Uh, you know, exiled from our homes, maybe we were pushed out of our countries 
to come and to encourage you other Christians to go to these other places, that this woman whose country is being torn apart by war, she understands that God's kingdom is advancing and that even when evil is happening, God is still on his throne and he is still bringing about the fullness of his kingdom despite all the evil in the world. So when we look at this part of the parable, this mustard seed that Jesus is talking about, I want us to remember that Jesus uses the small, insignificant, and seemingly impossible circumstances for extravagant and lasting kingdom impact. Let's keep reading on in verse 33. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leaven. So we get this other, um, we have this other parable where it's talking about growth. And so this first parable was painting a picture about this outward expansion that will happen with the kingdom. But this parable shows the inward growth or the transformation of the kingdom and how the message of the gospel, it permeates like leaven and how it permeates and just goes into all the crevices. It permeates every facet of our lives and every corner of the earth. So there's this twofold idea here. There's this transformation that's happening inside of us, which then has impact on the transformation within our community and then in larger communities, and it's ongoing. So when we hear the gospel, when we receive it with a posture of repentance and turning and submitting to the kingship of Jesus, when that happens in our life, the gospel kingdom message, it works its way through your thoughts starts shaping your beliefs, starts thinking, okay, I've heard this message, I'm challenged by it. It's challenging thoughts that are natural for me to have just in my sinful nature. So the gospel message starts challenging these thoughts that I have. And when we submit ourselves, it starts to change our beliefs. Like, yes, I believe this. I've put my trust in Jesus. Jesus is king. That is who I am trusting in. And so as we continue walking this life with Jesus... And it's transforming our beliefs. It's transforming in what we are, are trusting in. It starts to transform our affections. It starts to transform what we give our time to, what we love, what we set our eyes on, what we're letting influence. Like John was talking about last week, what is it that we're letting influence us? So this gospel message, as it starts to permeate into all areas of our lives, it starts to shape our affections. And then our motivations start to be shaped. What motivates us? What, what's my motive in doing this? In the gospel message, it starts to, to shape that. Am I motivated by self in this, or am I motivated in participating in the expansion of God's kingdom? Am I motivated in what I'm going to get out of this, or am I motivated in, in stepping into what God has for me in this? Stepping into the hard things, letting him transform, going back. This isn't just a one keep going process. It's going back and saying, okay, wait, are my affections lining up? Are my thoughts centering around this? Am I, am I you know, mindful of what my thoughts are or what's going into my head, what I am letting influence me? So it starts to shape from our thoughts to our beliefs to our affections, to our motives, and then it starts going outward, that it starts shaping our, effect, our actions. What is it that I'm actually doing? 
I can have these thoughts of, yes, I trust Jesus and I'm doing all these things, but is that affecting actually how I relate to, you know, the people in my class at school? Is it affecting how I relate to the people in my families? Is it affecting the choices that I make um, out of those motives? Is it for myself or am I making these choices and, and going along with these actions because this is actually what God has called me to? This is actually in line with, with how he says things in his kingdom work and do not work. And as it starts to work on the inside out for us, then that starts to flow into other people's lives. And it starts to spread to them as they see what's going on in your life. It's like we talked about at camp. When we were talking about what this life with Jesus looks like, as we experience the grace and the mercy and the message of the kingdom from Jesus, as we receive that and it starts to transform our lives from the inside out, then other people, when they start to ask questions, why is it that you do what you do here? I see that you act this way. You've said thoughts about this. It's that idea where we invite them and say to come and see what the Lord has done in my life. Come and see how he has transformed all of these things. Come and see this sin that he has set me free from. Come and see what the Lord has done in my life. You know, we think about all these people. There's a lot of people that we'll see as we continue reading in the Bible, as they encounter the gospel. One of the main easiest ones I can think of is Paul. Paul is somebody who we saw in Acts 8.1. He's also known as Saul. Uh, he is persecuting Christians. When he comes face to face with Jesus, uh, his life is changed, it's transformed, and his whole way of life has been transformed. Every aspect of his life has been transformed. He was walking down one path, and this is what he was living for, and he was faced with the truth and the gospel message of Jesus, and it transformed everything in him to the point where he is now going out, and he is spreading the message of Jesus Christ, and it's transforming churches, it's, or it's spreading the church, it's advancing the kingdom. But this isn't just Paul's story. This is everybody's story in here who has put their faith in Jesus. That Jesus comes in, he meets us where we are at, but he doesn't leave us there. That he's transforming, that he's working from the inside out, just like leaven. When it is put into flour, the chemical compounds, they change, and it starts to transform everything around it until all of the dough is leavened. The gospel message, that is what it is. The person and work of Jesus, the person and work of Jesus Christ, it permeates and it transforms every aspect of our lives. And it has this kingdom impact as we begin to share with other people, come and see what the Lord has done in my life. The Lord is using us. When we talk about the, the parable of the mustard seed to the tree, when we're seeing this expansive growth, Jesus is filling it in with the parable of the leaven here to show that I'm actually using you and the redemptive work that I'm doing in you, as you share that with other people, that is how I am bringing about and advancing my kingdom. I am using my kingdom workers. I am using my followers to bring about the fullness of the kingdom. Uh, my dad in our family, my dad grew up in a home. There was a couple different other religions present um, but not evangelical Christians. It wasn't until uh, my dad was in college. Somehow um, he ended up at a Christian college, and that is where he was saved. He was saved. He got baptized to show this is my commitment. I'm going to follow. I want every aspect of the gospel to be transforming my life. Is my dad perfect? No. But my dad made that decision when he was in college. 
And that affected then how he related to my mom once they got married. And that then permeated into our families about how Colton, that's my brother, how we were raised. We were raised in a home transformed by the gospel, not perfect again what I'm saying, but it started to shape every aspect of my dad's life. And it started to permeate through his family as well to the point where he also then, the way he was relating to his parents, even though they weren't believers, they weren't Christians, there was this change. Hey, this is actually how I'm going to start relating to you guys. And my dad then is the one who shared the gospel with my grandpa and how my grandpa came to know the Lord was through my dad letting it affect every relationship, every aspect of his life. And so then my grandpa becomes a Christian, and now he is relating to his wife, my grandma, different. And that starts to affect and change everything in their life. So there's just these cool things. I'm sure we can all look and think about these areas in our lives where we see that the Lord has done a work in somebody, and from that work that he did, he's using it for kingdom impact that we have no idea just how massive and how much it will continue to permeate to the ends of the earth. So tonight, some of the things I want us to look into, um, things that I want us to think about is how do we see God at work in our world? I think this is an important thing for us to stop and think about because there is evil in our world and we can get so bogged down, especially because our culture with media and headlines, we want to see there is so much evil. We can read so many headlines and we can be filled with so much fear. But what we want to know is that God promises in his word that his kingdom is advancing and the fullness of his kingdom will come and that he is continuing to move even when we don't see it right on the surface. So I think as believers, an important thing for us to do is to talk about how do we see God at work in the world? And one of the really cool things that we are going to do, I haven't um, announced it yet. We'll talk more and announce it more next week, but there's going to be a really neat opportunity for us as a high school group to do uh, this event called Secret Church. And in that event, we are going to be uh, looking at the secret church across uh, across the world. Um, people who are meeting in secret because it is illegal for them to meet as a church. It is illegal for them to be followers of Jesus. And that will be a time where we are learning and growing in uh, things that sometimes are easy for us just to, to bypass here where we live. And we are freely able to be Christians. It's really important for us as believers to know what's going on in the world and in the secret church because those are amazing stories to see how God is at work just like he's at work in our life. So another thing I want us to consider tonight is how have I seen God work in my life? I want you guys to consider in your groups how have I seen him work in this last week? How have I seen him work in this last maybe few months, in this last year? Important things that we want to continue continually be evaluating and processing with, other, processing with one another. How is God at work in our world? How is he at work in our life? And then are there areas of my life that I have a hard time surrendering? If the idea of the kingdom message of the gospel is that it permeates and that it is transforming and that we're allowing it into every area of our life to be transformed by it. There are areas that I know in my life that are just hard where I just want to hold on to that. I want us to discuss that. We're in a safe community where we can talk about, hey, this is an area of my life that I usually just keep to myself, that I really haven't let the gospel or let uh, the message of the kingdom come in. So I'm going to pray, and the band is going to lead us in one more song, and then we will discuss in our groups. Father, God, thank you so much for uh, this night. Lord, you are holy. You are mighty. 
And just like we sang earlier, God, you are unstoppable. There is nothing that can thwart the plans that you have to bring about the fullness of your kingdom. God, I pray for uh, just our time of discussion, Lord, that we, uh, by your spirit, that you would just uh, bring to mind, Lord, how you are moving and working in our world, ways that we've seen. Would we just encourage each other with stories that we've heard? And Lord, that we would just be able to reflect in our own lives just to see, even in the smallest things that may seem insignificant, how are you working in our lives? Because Lord, we know that even the smallest things you are using for extravagant kingdom impact that will last for eternity. Lord, we love you. We are so thankful for, uh, for you being a, a God of your promises, that you have sent the Messiah, that he has come, he's brought about the kingdom, and that Christ will return again, and that that is our hope, that is what we are to fix our eyes on. And so, Lord, we thank you. We love you. Uh, would this song of worship just be uh, pleasing to you? And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.